We are in this series called Dangerous Generosity. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been, doing, we've been talking about generosity of heart because we said that this is about our mission. You know, our mission is to be dangerously generous, to meet people the way that Jesus would meet people. And we do that with our heart and with our thinking, with our head and with our hands, heart, head, and hands, dangerously generous with our heart and our head and our hands. And this last few weeks and uh, for a couple more, we're going to be talking about this idea of generosity of heart. And Art did a great job last week, and, and then two weeks ago I spoke, and you know, this idea that we're Jesus people, so we will then have a generous heart toward people the way that Jesus does, to meet their needs. And um, I hope that's been good for you. I hope you've heard those sermons. If not, I actually went back and listened to them again online or, or saw the, uh, vid- watched the videos online, and they were good reminders. I picked up stuff I didn't hear the first time, especially when I talked, and um, Man, it, it's so good to sort of open our eyes to being Jesus people out in the world. Like, what does God want to do? And I remember I shared some stories about um, some people in our church that were just starting to live with some margins in their life and the ability to open their eyes and their ears to hear and see kingdomly, to be able to know where God is saying, move here and minister there and love here and meet these needs. Like, we could just respond to God's presence in our life. I was talking to Art in Chicago. We were there last week in Chicago. Five of us from the team went to our annual um, pastor's um, conference. Our denomination has its pastor's conference the last week of January in Chicago. And uh, that's because we have all that extra money in our denomination. So we go to Chicago, you know, for a conference. And uh, everybody else gets to go to Florida. We go to Chicago. And uh, it was negative six when we landed. And and it was negative two at the height of that day, so that was fun. But we're in Chicago, and, uh, and I ran into Art between um, meetings, and I said, hey, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee, and then I'm going to go to this seminar. Do you want to go with me? And he goes, he goes, you know, no, no, I'm not, actually. Um, he said, this is what God's been doing. He said, I'm going to go wander the halls because God has been leading me and showing up for me and leading me to people who I can um, encourage and pray for. Isn't that cool? And he goes, it's just been happening all week long. And he goes, so I got some free time right now. I'm just going to go wander the halls and see what God has for me. How great is that? That's, that's given our generous heart to people, especially pastors who would go there that are discouraged and lonely and wishing they were known and, you know what I mean? And here's Greco to love on them. Uh, I, I've been inspired by it. I've been looking... Uh, trying to keep my eyes open, the stuff I was preaching, God, what do you have for me? What, you know, what encounter? And I'm trying to meet people everywhere I go. And, and, the, and, and actually in the airport uh, on the way back here, a guy sat down next to me. We started chatting. He was a professional baseball player, which then I got immediately super crazy nervous, right? Because I love baseball. And I was trying to figure out how do I take his picture and then send it to Tommy while we're talking, my son, you know, and I, I couldn't do it. But we started talking. And well, as I started engaging in conversation with this guy, he was just a kid, 20, 25 years old, and um, end of his rookie year and uh, played major league ball. And I can't tell you who it is because I don't want to out him right now, but uh, I'm stalking him on social media. I don't want you to do that. And uh, so as I started talking to him, I started to feel that weight of God's heart for him. And I felt paternal, and I felt pastoral, and I felt 
just Jesus' love for this kid. And we spent 40 or 45 minutes in conversation together about his life and his story and baseball. And he asked about, you know, well, I told my son played and he asked about his story. And he, it was a, an incredible experience. But God spoke to me, told me two things while I was talking to him. I was just listening. I'm like in this crowded, my flight was delayed four and a half hours, of course. And, uh, and I'm, I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, I hear the Lord tell me two things, crystal clear. One of them, he said, tell him you're proud of him. And I didn't know where that was coming from, and I could only guess, and I thought, that's going to be weird. And so after we're talking a while, I just, I, I, I just, I reached out and I grabbed his arm and I said, you know what? I go, I gotta, this might be weird. I don't know you. I got to tell you. And when I grabbed his arm, I'm like, look at that bicep. And, um, <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm proud of you. And he lit up. And by the way, men, that's what we do with one another. We, we get the strength of God. We get the strength from the company of men when men tell us they're proud of us. But it was this, he, there was something that I was supposed to tell him that. So I told him that. And then the Lord said, the second thing the Lord said was, um, pray for him. And this is a crowded airport terminal. I mean, packed out. And I started freaking out for him. Like, I don't think I was super scared, like, to be like, oh, I'm a Jesus guy, you know, like he was going to, like, I don't think it was about me. I think it was just I was worried about him. And so then I started overthinking it. Anybody go there? I think I've heard the Lord, but then it was like, so I'm trying to talk to him and listen to him. And the whole time I'm doing this thing with the Lord, like, pray for him. Like, how do I pray for him? What do I pray for him about? Do I tell him I want to pray for him? Tell him I'll pray for him later. Do I pray for him right now? Do I make him bow his head? And everybody's like, what's going on? Is that guy okay? Send the paramedics. You know, we didn't, I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll grab him and I'll take him out over here in this, around the corner in this little alleyway and I'll pray for him. I'm like, no, that's creepy. I'm not doing that. And while I overthought it, his flight got called and he's like, nice to meet you. And he was off and I missed it. I missed it. And then I thought, oh, well, I don't know if that was from the Lord because I'm a mess. All I was, you know, it's like a major league baseball player. Can I fill your bicep again? You know, I mean, I was a mess. But the more I thought about it on the way home and the next day, I thought, Lord, I missed it, didn't I? And I felt, I felt, somebody shared a story after first gathering that she had had the same experience. I just, I didn't feel condemnation. I felt the Lord's grace like, yeah, you totally missed it. Like you could have seen more things. You know, you open your eyes and you see it. So I went home and stalked him and I've sent him a few messages and um, hopefully I'll get another chance, right? And I have more to that story. It's a super cool story because of something that I started seeing and some connections on his Facebook and take me a coffee and you'll hear the rest of that. Um, we're talking about this dangerously generous heart for people. I want to be open to living and serving that way. But this morning, take it a little bit of a different direction. And we wanted to ask the question, what does it look like to have a dangerously generous heart toward God? What does that look like? And that, my friends, is worship. And so rather than this idea of looking for how do we have Jesus' heart for people, how do we have a dangerously generous heart for God? How do we worship in this kind of a, this understanding with this kind of a framework? I want to read the text this morning. It's from Luke chapter 7. It is a, uh, a, one of my favorite passages, Luke 7, 36. It's so hard to see on that screen. I hope that you still, old school, feel like you can pull out that Bible underneath. You don't have to I'd love it if you brought your Bible, because then you could have all kinds of like, you know, little mementos and cute things, and I love Bibles. And uh, that is so old school. I, I, I'm not going to make you do that, though, because you all read on your phone. And, um, and if you're on your phone right now, go ahead and just check in at Marin Covenant. It helps our hits. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
Actually, I'm serious. Go right ahead. And, uh, <laughs> but I hope you can um, follow along here. If not, grab a Bible underneath or if you brought your Bible. 736, sorry, the end of the, end of the chapter, almost the end of the chapter. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's, did I say sinful? Sinful life. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him. You, you notice the guy thought to himself, but then Jesus answered him out loud. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people, this is Jesus' story, two people owed uh, money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is a day's wage, so like a year and a half's worth of salary. And the other 50 days' worth. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so when he forgave the debts, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a beautiful passage? I love that passage. Actually, it's really familiar to you maybe because there's, a couple, there's another account that happened with a different woman at a different person's house where she had an alabaster jar, and it's a different scenario entirely. It's a different woman named, named Mary, Mary of Bethany, that happened at a different place, and she was at a guy's house. Jesus was eating at Simon's house who was a leper. So there's these weird coincidences in the story, and in history, people have sort of lumped them all together, but they're two different scenarios where two people felt compelled to pour out fragrant offerings on Jesus out of their gratitude for him. But this particular one in Luke is really unique, and it was this sinful woman who did it. It's a picture of generosity of heart toward God. Let me define some things before I pull some stuff out of this text for us as we think and seek to be generous of heart people. Toward God. Generosity of heart toward God is worship, friends. That's what worship is. This is a great definition of worship and a great way to think about this. If our heart swells toward God, then what's happened is we've become worshipers. Worship means worship, finding worth, finding value, ascribing value to who He is. It's worship, and worship, as we can tell from this text and from everywhere else in the scriptures, worship comes from gratefulness. 
It says that her many sins had been forgiven. She must have had some encounter with Jesus already and had heard and, uh, his words, his teaching, his affirmation of her, something, and she must have already had this encounter and known that her sins, verse 47, had been forgiven. Her many sins had been forgiven. Worship comes from gratefulness. I don't know, this, may be, this may require a rebooting for us, some of us about what we think worship is. We think worship is an event that we come to at 9 o'clock and at 10.45 or 10.55 or, you know, whenever you get here, Amanda. And uh, so, uh, or it's a song. We worship is a song that we show up for or that we open our mouths and sing. Now, this may be a rebooting for us. Worship is a, a generosity of heart toward God is worship, and worship comes from gratefulness. And gratefulness for what? Very simply, gratefulness for who He is, and what he has done. Gratefulness for who he is and what he has done. Who is he? He is God, our Savior. He has come in the flesh. This is the incarnation of the living God, the Lord and King of heaven and earth, who made the world and all that is in it, who made us, who gave us our hearts, who then calls out of us this relationship with him, who then comes to earth, who dies on the cross to provide a way for us to be reunited, cleansed from our sin, reunited in relationship with God. I mean, this is who he is, and what he's done is given us that freely. And so what worship very simply is, if you never kind of thought, what's the definition of worship? It is a grateful response, a heart response, a generous heart response of gratefulness for who he is and what he has done. You with me on that? That fit for you about what worship's about? So here we are going, man, let's be generous of heart toward people. But now I got to say, what about generous of heart toward God? Well, that's worship, friends. It's this gratefulness. And it's what he has done that we get together and that we talk about and rehearse and celebrate that he has cleansed us, healed us, and is transforming us and has removed the debt, the burdensome debt of our sin. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that this picture shows, right? In both Jesus' story of forgiving these debts that neither could pay, of this woman who was just, you know, amazingly met by Jesus, even though she had this uh, reputation and, and was this sinner and this, uh, you know, um, outcast woman. This is what Jesus has done. A grateful response to who he is, what he has done. And here it is. And this worship, this generosity of heart toward God in worship is required of us to be who we were meant to be. It was put in us, friends, to be worshipers. It was put in us from God to cry out for him, to long for him, to express our generous heart to him in gratefulness to who he is and what he's done. It was put in us. And we cannot have the experience of being a Christian without having the experience of our generous heart worshiping God. It's what we were made to do. It's inside of us. It's all over the scriptures. It's in the Old Testament where, I mean, the biggest book in the Old Testament is the book of Psalms, and you just open it up. You can't open it up without just pinpointing and going, there's a verse right there just out in the middle of it about how, you know, my mouth will praise you as long as I live. It's these kinds of words. It gave uh, language to the Jewish community's heart that, like, inside I have to give a grateful response to who he is and what he's done. 
It's all through the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and they proclaimed him, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, which means save us. You're the Savior. Are you the Savior? Then save us. They cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. When they did that, remember, and people said, man, uh, these guys ought to be quiet. They're making a racket up here. Jesus said, if they don't cry, if they don't praise me, do you remember what he said? The rocks will cry out. Like the whole world was created to declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The smell of a baby's head declares the glory of God. A kind word declares the glory of God. This, you know, another masculine man who kissed me on the cheek today and told me he loved me, that declares the glory of God. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere that we declare the glory of God and the rocks will cry out if we don't do it. We were made to do it, friends. It is the fulfillment of our ultimate, really, eternal destiny to give a grateful response to him for who he is and what he has done. I forgot to mention Revelation. That's at the end of the Bible. Revelation, where it gives a picture of the kingdom of heaven at the end of all things. When the kingdom has come fully, the only picture we have of what's going on is the lamb at the center of the throne and all of the the living creatures and all of the elders and all of the saints and all of the people in that vision that John had are worshiping. They're overwhelmed with gratefulness because they saw him even more clearly for who he is and what he has done. So worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You are the one, our Lord and God, who created us and sustains us. I mean, it's just this worship encounter. It's what we were made to do. By the way, if you're not sure of that, tune in at 3.20 today to watch an entire nation worship. Yeah! So it happens. That's why we know that it's in us. It's so, yeah, that's the Super Bowl. For some of you, been under a rock. It's a big football game today. It's happening in New York. But people, you know, right? People are just like, yeah. It's in us when we see something extraordinary to respond. So let's talk about what this generous heart of worship is. A couple things. One, this generous heart of worship is for sinners. Oh, that's a good word. Do you not love that word? Somebody's going to preach now. When you start using the word sinner, it's for sinners. The text says that this woman heard that Jesus was there and she showed up. She, she took advantage of a social custom that said that the poor could show up at, the, at a banquet that somebody was hosting so that they could receive some of the leftovers at the end. Isn't that cool? And we should do that. You have a little dinner party. You just don't want, and especially if you're Italian, you don't want to run out of food. So you cook way too much, right? And we ought to not throw that food away. And that's what they did in this culture. And so these folks would, and so she heard, oh, I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm going to get there. I've met Jesus. He's told me before my sins are forgiven. She knew it. And she came with a grateful response. But my point of this is that this worship is for sinners. She was defined as somebody in verse 37 who lived a sinful life. She lived a sinful life. And the phrase there is the phrase that we use for someone who had a reputation for gross immorality. It wasn't like she did some sinful things. It was that woman is one of those. And in fact, the, the, the Pharisee you know, later said he would know that she is a sinner. Like it was a label. It wasn't even descriptive. It was definitive, you know. 
And she probably was a prostitute, which is why her hair was down as she wiped Jesus' feet with her tears, the hair being down, a symbol of immodesty, a symbol that she was available. Friends, in a text that God put in the Word to show us how Jesus interacted with people, he put in this text that a broken and sinful and despised, despicable in that culture woman was the one who could teach us about worship. A generous heart of worship toward God is for sinners. I have to remind you of that because we've twisted it around. We actually come into church and know what's in our hearts and what we've not been and what we're struggling with and what we get, can't get past and feeling the shame and the guilt pile up and we think, I can't worship because I'm a sinner. It would be dishonest. I've had people say to me in church, man, I, I got here and I didn't get struck by lightning because that was their expectation that somehow the church has communicated that worship's for saints. So you clean yourself up and you come to church. Friends, worship's for sinners. Worship's for broken people. Worship's for people who have a desperate need for Jesus and who know it and are a mess. Come on now, can I get an amen in the house? It's a grateful response to who he is and what he has done. And if we don't understand that we're broken, messed up people and what we've received is a saving God's gracious acceptance and forgiveness. If we don't get that, then we're not going to be worshipers. Worship is for sinners. I love that. So we get to come in and not go, man, I'm not doing very well. I'm going to stay away from church for six or eight months. Or I'm going to come in and I'm not going to sing the songs because I know that's not really true about me and my guilt's overwhelming. Or I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, I'd like to sing these songs, but man, I need another six or eight months to pull it together before God just strikes me down. No, friends, we come in like this woman and we say this is who this Savior God is and this is what he's done in my life and I will sing with everything I have or the rocks will cry out. That's what worship is. Can, can we re remind ourselves about that and do that, be those people? Worship is for sinners. Second, worship is a humble response. And what I mean by a humble response is you see her coming up behind Jesus at a place of submission and respect. They had these low tables. You may have seen this in artwork or, or uh, you know, in a movie or something. They had these low tables. They, rely, they, they kind of leaned on cushions on the floor at the low table, and that's where all the food was. And their feet, which were dirty from the dusty roads and the sandals, would be out behind them, away from the food, and they would eat, propped on one elbow, they would eat at the table that was down low. She would come up behind Jesus and look at her humble response to him. She came up and washed his feet. See, that's what servants did. That's what submissive servants did. They came and washed feet. Of course, we find out later that the Pharisee didn't trouble himself with doing that for his guests at this point. It wasn't required, but it was something that a host would offer. But she came and she did it. She didn't even have water to do it. So she wept over his feet. You see the humility and the submission to how great Jesus was and how grateful she was for him. It's a humble response. She wept over his feet. She didn't have a towel to wash his feet, so she dried them with her hair. And she kissed his feet. 
You, you could say that was a humiliating experience almost, but not because of her love for him. It was a humble experience. Here, here's the point. The point is she was submissive to who he was and to his authority and to his role as her savior and as her rescuer and as, as we know, as her God. This worship thing that we do, friends, isn't about coming and singing songs. It isn't just about coming and being Jesus' buddy. It's also about coming. This generous heart of worship is a humble response where we come and we say, not just, you're awesome. We say, so now I will submit myself to you. I mean, you look at every, every song we sing. It isn't just, you're great. It's, you're great, so I'll live my life for you. You're great, so everything I have is yours. You're great, God, so I will give all of me to you. That's a submissive response to Jesus. But we have to be careful because we understand God's grace that after we've been around the track a few times, we have to be careful that our understanding of the grace of God, that our familiarity with it does not breed contempt. We have to be careful that our familiarity doesn't breed entitlement or even arrogance. I'm Jesus' buddy. What up? This is my church. We come... And we submit ourselves to this great king who has loved us and rescued us. And we give him our lives, and it's serious business. That's a humble response. A humbly grateful response to who he is and what he's done. This heart of worship is for sinners. It's a humble response. Third, it's an extravagant offering. You read the description again of what she did, how she stood behind him with her alabaster jar of perfume. She wept. She wasn't just, oh, I'm feeling a little moved. She let it uncork. Now, some of you are more emotive than others, and I want to remind you, emotion's not just for women and Jeff. Emotions, <laughs> and emotions aren't feelings. Emotions are, it's the language of the heart. And some of us know the language better than others, and some have learned the language better than others, and some of us are downright fluent. And in our culture, women get to be more fluent, and there's a freedom that's been granted to them, and men often haven't been allowed to be that fluent. But it's a language that we can learn, and some are more expressive and less expressive. That's not the deal. It isn't about whether you feel it on a scale of nine and you feel it on a scale of four or whatever. But her response of, of it was so over the top that you start realizing that she was completely generous in her heart. She was in touch with her heart, and so she responded full on. So she didn't just say, well, I'm feeling a little moved. It says she wept, like this word is, as she stood behind him, weeping and weeping and weeping. That'd be a little awkward at your cocktail party to have somebody just off to the side. But that was her response to him. Her heart was engaged. And so she began then to wet his feet with her tears. Seeing him, I want to serve him. I'm so grateful. I'm so moved. I'm so submissive to him. His feet are still dirty. My tears, my gratitude will serve him, will wash his feet. Is this not amazing? And then she began to dry that on the towel and she took her hair and dried them, knowing how scandalous that was. She wiped his feet with her hair and began to kiss his feet. And it's kissing and kissing. And Jesus contrasts later with the Pharisee. He's like, you didn't even let the servant bring a little water. The woman used her tears. You didn't even bring a towel. The woman used her hair. You didn't give me the little Middle East kiss, peck on the cheek. And this woman is can't stop kissing my feet. Friends, she was out of control. It was this extravagant offering of a generous heart toward God. And then she took her perfume 
instead of just a little oil with a little fragrance, because that was just a refreshing, it was really almost more for the, the smell than anything. It was a, a gracious, hospitable thing to put a little olive oil with some fresh spices, some fragrant spices, anoint someone's head with it as they came into your house so that you didn't have to smell the body odor in a gathered room. She didn't just do that. She took pure perfume, not just a few spices and olive oil, probably very expensive. When that other woman did it in the other passage, they said it was a year's worth of wages that it cost. And you take the little cork out of the top and you anoint somebody with the perfume and it's way over the top as opposed to the, just the anointing with olive oil. You take a little perfume out, it's so fragrant. It's like, wow, that's special. She broke the neck off the alabaster jar. She didn't even take the cork, wax cork out. She broke the neck and she poured it all over his feet. And everybody's like, enough, that's enough. We smell it, okay, we get it. <laughs> Kinda out of control. It's an extravagant offering. So contrasted to the Pharisee. Why was it extravagant offering? She was extravagant because of the gift that God had given her. She had been forgiven much and she understood it. Worship is a grateful response, right? You with me? To what he's done. And she knew what he had done and she was clear about it. And the Pharisee was like, I don't know, what's he done for me? What does he have to offer me? Not very much. And he's like, well, then you're going to worship not very much. But she worships a lot. It was extravagant. Her debt had been forgiven. Her burden had been removed, and it was huge, and she knew it. I said it before. When we open our eyes and we recognize this thing that God has done, and we recognize this offer of his love and his grace, and we recognize his majesty and who he is in all of his glory, when we see something extraordinary, it is in us to respond extravagantly that's what people do. When you see something extraordinary, you respond extravagantly. Except for the guys like the Pharisee who hold back and choose not to see and choose not to receive the gift and choose not to let go for all kinds of reasons and doesn't love much, doesn't respond much to God. But she did, and she uncorked it. We don't hold back because of how extraordinary his love is for us. Now, this is what a generous heart of worship is. Let me finish with this. A generous heart, this kind of generous heart, is dangerous because it's so costly. We're going to use that language in every one of these sermons. This dangerous generosity, it's dangerous because it's always so costly. And generosity of heart will always cost us. And we've talked about that the last two weeks. And friends, I think our dangerous generosity of heart toward God in worship will cost us as well. First thing I think it's going to cost us is it's going to take a significant investment in truth. See, this is rooted in truth. This, this worship is a grateful response to what? To what's true about him. To what he, who he is and what he's done. And so it's going to take us, it's going to cost us to invest in understanding who he is better and understanding what he's done better. And focusing on that and getting it. And I'm using the words rehearsing the truth and reflecting on it and, 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 and recounting it and reminding one another of it. That's what we do when we're here. That's what we do. That's why we get together corporately. Because we remind and rehearse and reflect on what's true about him. And some of us don't worship. Our hearts are not generous toward God because we haven't done the investment in the truth about who he is. We don't really get it. And that's actually a little bit it's hard. I, 
I didn't tell you this before, but I'll tell you now. This happened to me today uh, before the service. We always think it's going to happen. It's never happened. My microphone was on before the church. And it wasn't on in the house, fortunately, but it was on in all of the musicians' ears. And uh, they heard me talking, greeting people in the back. And then they heard me say unceremoniously, okay, I got to pee. And then they heard my conversation in the bathroom. So my wife later telling me, yeah, hey, uh, we were following you around for the last 10 minutes. And they heard my conversation. I ran into a guy in the bathroom this morning who I said, how you doing, brother? And he said, I'm excited about today. I'm anticipating what God's going to give us and what's gonna, what I'm going to receive today. And he was all hungry. And I said, wow, why? And he said, I don't know. I think it's because I can't get enough of God's word lately. He goes, I've been spending like three hours a day in God's word and I was up this morning and I was reading and I was hungry and he was telling me the passage that he was reading and that he was studying this morning. Friends, he was doing the work to rehearse the truth about who God is and what he has done. So he came in here ready with a grateful heart of response. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And some of us don't worship because we haven't done that and we come here and we go, make me worship. Well, we can't do that. To be people who fulfill our destiny of generous hearts toward God, we have to be people who are out there every day rehearsing the truth, investing in truth about who God is and what he's done. And that will cost us. And I don't know what it will cost you. I think it will cost you some time with God and some time quiet and some time in reflection and some time in conversation with people who know and think deeply about the things of God. I think it's going to take some investment in those things. I mean, you could just start with a notebook and on one, page, one side of the page, just something you read in the Word that day that you learned about God and His salvation. And on the other side, something that you saw in the world that day that demonstrated to you that Jesus is giving you blessing. Well, that's a great start. But you know what that sounds like? A quiet time. That sounds like you got to buy a journal. Those little cutesy ones are like 15 bucks, you know? And you got to every day spend some time with God, and you got to be stopped, and you got to be disciplined. And you got to think about the things of God. I'm just saying, we walk with God all week, friends. We can't think that our generous worship is here for these one hour that you come on the Sundays you make it. You know what I'm saying? It'll take a significant investment in truth. Second, it's costly because it calls us to die to self and to pride. And all I mean by this is when we release our hearts in worship to God, when we are generous in our heart toward God, we basically are admitting I'm so needy for you, Jesus. I'm done looking like I'm together. I'm done looking like I'm fine. I need you. I've needed your forgiveness. I need your grace today. I need your forgiveness today. I need it again tomorrow. I need you to go before me with my wife who I've, I've hurt. I, 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 I'm not living for you the way I want to live for you. Like, I get it. I need you, God. And we have to die to our own pride that we're all together and we're all fine. Because we spend a lot of time putting ourselves together, keeping it together, keep it together, keep it together. Well, whenever God shows up in the scriptures, they say things like, I'm undone. We keep it together, the presence of God undoes us. What is that about? Well, we might as well just give in to that, friends. Worship causes us to die to self and to pride and to say, no, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe to me. And then we receive God's grace, because worship's for sinners. It calls us to die to self and to pride. And we just die to ourselves. I mean, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith now in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't exist. I live for Christ. Wow. And related to that, this last thought, it causes us to go against our cultural comfort zones because we don't like submitting ourselves to anybody. But this generous heart of worship calls us to give our lives to Jesus. But we don't like that. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told to have discipline. We don't like to be told to go buy a journal and to have some time with God. We don't like to be told, you know what? If you want to worship and you want to maximize this response to God that he deserves and that you were built to give, then you got to come to church. You got, well, I don't have to do anything. Well, okay. And, and, and you probably should go to bed early on Saturday night. Well, don't tell me what to do with my Saturday night. Okay. Well, and you probably ought to be early so you don't miss the first half of the songs. And some of you are like, crap, I told you we were late. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to step on your feet today because we've all been late. But do, you know what I'm saying? Like, see how uncomfortable I am and how uncomfortable you are? Because it's like, don't, nobody tells me what to do. It goes against our cultural norms. If we're going to respond with this heart of worship, it costs us, friends. We invest in what's true. We die to ourselves and give our lives to him. And we go against what sometimes culturally, you know, we're uncomfortable with. So, and it's way beyond the cultural, like, you know, nobody tells me what to do. Most of you aren't like that. But we have this little itch in us, a little rebellious thing. But it goes beyond that in terms of cultural discomfort. You know, one of the cultural discomforts that we have about this is that we don't like being vulnerable. We don't like being vulnerable, not publicly. And we don't like it because somebody's going to judge us and somebody's going to think about us and somebody's going to see that we're not together and, you know. You've maybe had that feeling. You've maybe had that feeling where you and your response and your, in, the, in the moment that God has you in, you're just like, I'm so grateful. I need him so badly. And we're singing a song and you're like, I wish everybody was standing because nobody's standing. And you think to yourself, well, I could stand. And then you think, I'm not standing by myself. Right? You ever done that? Everybody's going to look in the back of their eyes are boring holes in the back of their What's wrong with her? I wonder what happened in her week. She probably sinned all week. You know, we got all kinds. <laughs> nobody's doing that, but we think they might. And it goes against our cultural comfort zone to just break the neck off the bottle and pour it out. It's a reminder, friends, and band, come up and let's worship our way toward the table. It's a reminder this is what we were made to do. We were made to respond gratefully to who he is and what he has done. And some of us have been withholding our generous heart to God. And we don't even know why. We just we haven't invested in it. We've felt uncomfortable. We, we haven't thought of it that way. We've put the burden on the worship team to make me a worshiper. And we haven't been reflecting on what's true about him. We haven't gotten in touch with the amazing gift he's given us. But I'm here to remind you this morning that this is what you were created to do. And you can measure it out a little bit with your bottle today and every Sunday. So as you come up to be prepared to come into worship or to come to the table or to sing the songs, you can dip your finger in the oil and anoint it and go, that's awesome, Jesus, that's awesome. Or you can begin to ask the question, what would it be to have this generous heart toward God, this grateful response to who he is, and pour it out and go, everything I have is yours. And my whole life is for you. 
And I want more of you, Jesus. And give him our hearts the way that he deserves. It was what we were meant to be. May God give you freedom and life as you sing these songs. Enjoy worship today. I'll lead us to the table in a little while. Enjoy worship as we get together as a worshiping community in the season ahead. Let's pour out our rich offering of thanks to God.